For the rest of us, let us rise for the reading of God's holy word. This morning it comes to us from Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again for a second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, Your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. And before we go any further, uh, would you please join with me in prayer? Father, as we continue to contemplate uh, the words that you have taught us in the Lord's Prayer And as we pause to reflect upon this moment, uh, the night before Jesus was betrayed, the night when he came to you in prayer in this fashion, uh, we ask now um, in prayer, even in this moment, uh, that you would open our eyes and open our heart and, and reshape us, that we would hear your word and be changed by you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are at the end of this series where we have been looking at the Lord's Prayer. And so we come to the final petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And as I've been thinking about this prayer over this last week, it's occurred to me that maybe, and I don't know if it's true for all of you, but I think it's true for myself, this is the um, forgotten request of, of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, what I mean by that is, when, we, when people think of the Lord's Prayer, we, we know the first part because that's the first part that we say. We, and we've thought about what it means that, that God's name be hallowed, His kingdom come, His will be done. And we've also incorporated a lot of the second part. I mean, we pray, give us today our daily bread because we know we need God's help. And, and regularly we pray asking for God's forgiveness because we know we need that. But I, I wonder if we are as consistent in our personal prayers and the way we view our relationship to God in asking again and again, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
And if I'm right, if this is something that maybe is overlooked in the way we view our relationship with God, that's important because, like we've said a few times now, the Lord's Prayer is not just a script for prayer. It is a tool Jesus has given us to form us spiritually, to shape the way we understand our relationship with God, to shape us. And so that means if there's a part of this that perhaps we've overlooked and not thought enough about, here is an opportunity for us to grow, for us to be shaped in the manner that Jesus wants us to. And so that's where I'd like us to go this morning. I think this prayer helps us enter into the kind of relationship and the kind of person that we were created to have and to be. But as we turn to this request, I think we can acknowledge that part of the reason that perhaps it's been overlooked is it is at least a little bit confusing. Lead us not into temptation. I mean, that's kind of an odd request, isn't it? I mean, it, it almost implies that we're saying God normally will tempt us, but God, could you just not do it this time? It's, it's a weird thing to pray, especially because we know James says God never tempts us. So what's going on when we're saying lead us not into temptation? Well, commentators are helpful here. They say, and I think they're right, that this is a figure of speech known as litotes, which I did not know what it was until I looked it up. It's, it's saying something by negating the opposite. So if someone, you know, in an ad says, try this and you won't be sorry, they're not just saying, well, you'll be okay, you won't really regret it. By saying you won't be sorry, they're actually saying you will be glad you did this. Or when Michael Langer sometimes says, you know, I went to the DMV and that was not awesome. He's not just saying, well, it was pretty good. No, by saying it was not awesome, he's saying really the very opposite, that stunk. And that's what's going on here. When we're saying, don't lead us into temptation, we're actually saying the very opposite. Lord, when we are in this time of testing, because the word temptation and testing is the same word, when we're in this time of testing, protect us, keep us from falling. That this is the meaning is clear even by the next phrase. Deliver us from evil, or perhaps the better translation is a lot of the footnotes of our translations have it, the evil one that is Satan. Deliver us from Satan's power as he attacks us. So if we were to paraphrase what this prayer is, it would be, Lord, when I am tested, keep me strong. Help me to stand firm. When I am being attacked by Satan, deliver me that I may remain faithful to you. That's what we're praying here. And really what Jesus is telling us is that's what we should be praying repeatedly. Because remember, like we said last week, that the Lord's prayer is like the food pyramid of prayer. It's, it's our diet. It's what we regularly should be doing daily. Jesus is saying we should be asking God to keep us strong in the time of testing to protect us from Satan's attacks. Now if we reflect on the significance of of Jesus teaching that this is something we should be doing regularly. I think there are at least three important implications we should draw from this that help us to understand the nature of the life that we have in Christ. And the first of these is this prayer is telling us that we should expect regularly to be tested. That we should see our life as a battle. 
Now, Jesus, of course, knew what it meant to be tested. He knew what it meant to be in a spiritual battle. The passage that Scott just read kind of describes the culmination of a life of being tested and being tempted. To give you the context, Jesus has just been celebrating the Lord's Supper with his disciples. Judas has already left, and Jesus knows why Judas has left. After explaining to them through the Lord's Supper that he is going to be giving himself for them, he, with the 11 remaining disciples, go out for a walk in the, the cool time of the evening. They, they go down this path in the Mount of Olives to this garden, Gethsemane, that presumably they've been to before. And at a certain point, he leaves most of the disciples and tells them to just kind of stay where they are. And he takes his three closest friends, the people closest to him on earth, Peter, James, and John, and walks with them further. And it says in this moment, he is distraught. His soul is sorrowful even to the point of death. He is overwhelmed emotionally because he knows what is before him. He is being tested. Here in this moment, as he knows what obedience and faithfulness to his father looks like, his faith is being tested. He is being tempted to turn away. And not just he's being tested, he's being attacked. If you've been following the life of Jesus, you know right at the very beginning of his ministry, Satan goes after him and tempts him three times in the wilderness. And that's not the only time. There are times when Jesus is in his ministry. Remember when Peter is saying, don't go to the cross. What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. He feels the temptation of Satan through Peter. And now that temptation is coming to its climax. He's feeling the weight of Satan trying to pull him from what he knows his calling is. He knows what it is to be tempted. And how does he face this battle? He does it in prayer. And not just praying by himself. He brings his three friends to pray with him. He says, stay and watch with me. And, and the context for the disciples, they would have known what he meant. Stay and pray. Even as I am praying, pray with me. So Jesus goes a little bit further, and, and, and we know his prayer. We've, we reflected on it even a few weeks ago. But I want to think about the disciples here, and I want to be charitable. I believe that Peter, James, and John, as they begin when Jesus goes a little bit further, they are trying to do what Jesus asked them to do. My guess is they are trying to pray. But have you ever prayed when you're really, really tired? Maybe you've tried praying in bed. How has that gone for you? Yeah, it hasn't gone well for me either. And I think we can expect, knowing that these people are really tired, we're not surprised when Jesus comes back to them and sees all of them having dozed off. And, and he, he says to them, could you not watch with me one hour? There is a, there's a discouragement, a disappointment that I think Jesus has because he feels so alone. And then notice what he says next, because I think it helps clarify why he's calling them to pray. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That wording, it should be familiar. It's the same wording, lead me not into temptation. Here, pray that you do not enter into temptation. He's saying, you need to be praying right now so that you do not fall in the time of testing, that you do not fail when you are being attacked by Satan. 
Because Jesus knows it's not just his time of testing that lies before him. But that in a short while, when, when the guards come with their show of force, and they take the disciples' leader, the disciples will be tempted to give up on Jesus. And so he says, you need to be ready. You need to prepare yourself. Pray. Pray so that you do not enter and fall in this time of testing. Now, I think it's important, don't you, that, that Jesus gives us the very same instructions he gave to his disciples on that night. And, and giving us the Lord's Prayer, he is telling us, pray so that you do not enter into temptation. Pray so that you do not succumb to the power of the evil one. Do this regularly. The implication of this is that we should expect, we should be prepared daily to experience testing, to experience spiritual battle. I wonder if that's how we think of our day. When we wake up and we go through the calendar, maybe on our phone, and we process the events of the day, how much are we saying, I need to be ready for times of testing? I need to prepare myself to be in spiritual battle. You know, the Bible tells us clearly that if we are in Christ, we should expect to be tested, to have our faith tested. In fact, maybe surprisingly, Scripture says that's not a bad thing. Actually, in our time of testing, God is at work refining us, making us more and more the mature people we were created to be. So, so James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you are experiencing testing, because through that, God is making you complete. Or you might remember when we were looking at 1 Peter in the fall, he was talking about times of testing are times where you, like gold is refined by heat so that its impurities are burnt away, so also your faith is being refined. God is doing something good as we are being tested, we are told. So we should expect testing. But scripture also says we should expect attack. We should expect spiritual battle. Paul speaks about how our enemies are not other people, that we might think that. Our enemies are spiritual powers that are at work against us. We're in a battle. Again, you might remember when Peter was writing, Peter says that the evil one, Satan, prowls around like a lion seeking to devour us. There is a battle, there is an attack that we should expect. We should expect to be tested. We should expect to be attacked. And we should also understand that we're not here talking about two different kinds of challenges. That sometimes when we experience challenges, that's just God testing us and refining us. And other times when we experience challenges, now that's Satan tempting us. It's actually whenever we feel challenged, whenever we experience those challenges, both are happening at the same time. God is refining us. He's seeking to make us mature. And meanwhile, Satan is seeking to take us down and destroy us. That's why we pray. Now, what are we talking about when we're speaking of those times of testing and attack, those, those challenges? Well, they can come, I think, in two primary forms. Sometimes those challenges, that time of testing comes in kind of frontal attacks, like happened on the night that Jesus was betrayed, where it was clear that it was... Their, their, their Christianity, their following Jesus was being challenged. 
Sometimes we can go through periods of intense grief and we find ourselves struggling to feel like we can trust God. It's a time of testing and a time of attack. Or sometimes we have been hurt by someone. Or we are in times of conflict and we are bitter and forgiveness is the hardest thing in the world. That's a time of testing. Or sometimes it just comes in the form of a very clear temptation where we find ourselves being overcome again and again by sin and we are tempted to succumb. That is a time of testing and a time of attack. That's one way we experience it. Do you know what that's like? Do you know what it feels to have your Christian faith feel like it is under siege? But that's not the only kind of testing that Scripture speaks of. We can be tested when we feel attacked, but we also can be tested in times of ease. The writer of Proverbs says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Because both of these endanger my soul. Poverty might, might tempt me to steal, but, but riches will tempt me to say that I do not need God. Because, see, comfort is another way that we are attacked and tested. With ease, with comfort, with life being easy, we can be tempted to think we do not need God. We can become complacent. We can become self-sufficient. If you're familiar with Jesus' parable of the soils, he speaks of two different ways that people who initially believe can fall away. One can fall away when they experience hardship and they give up. But other people can fall away when just the the distractions of the world, the cares of riches and other things choke out their faith. They're both forms of testing, forms of attack. Make no mistake, comfort is dangerous for us. So that's why Jesus says, whenever you pray, daily, part of your prayer diet should be, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, because we should expect daily to be being tested and to be attacked. Now, there's a second implication of that prayer, if you think about it, that just follows from the first. If we are regularly to be praying this, what Jesus is saying is, if you do not, if you rely on yourself, if you are not prepared, you will fail. Now consider again the scene in Gethsemane that we've been, we've been looking at. When Jesus comes to his disciples and say, watch and pray so that you do not enter into temptation, he then explains why it is so important for them. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we see that demonstrated in the story. The spirit is willing. Think of Peter just a couple of hours ago. He said, even if everyone leaves you, Jesus, I will not. And he meant it. This was not just him trying to impress Jesus. He earnestly believed it. His spirit was willing. But what happened when the time of testing came? All of the disciples fall away. Peter himself denies Jesus three times. Why? Because though his spirit was willing, the flesh, that is, his ability, his willpower, his ability to accomplish his desires were so much weaker than he realized. That's why Jesus says, pray. You need to pray. You don't realize how weak you are. Pray or you will fail. 
We can only wonder what would have happened if Peter, James, and John, in those moments while Jesus was doing battle, while Jesus was praying, if they had prayed as well that they do not enter into temptation. And so when, when Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer, regularly pray, pray so that, that God protects you from temptation and delivers you in the time of attack, he is telling us you are weak. Your spirit is willing, yes, but you don't realize just how weak your flesh is. I remember in high school, I've shared this before, how there was this moment where I experienced in a time of prayer with other people this profound awareness of the reality of God and of his love. And I was changed by it. And I remember flowing from that feeling this newfound resolve to want to live differently. And one of the things I remember constantly saying is, I'm going to try to behave differently with my family. I was having a pretty conflictual relationship with my mom, and a lot of it, of course, is my fault. It's like, okay, I'm going to do that differently. And I was able to for about a day. (laughs) And then things just kind of settled back to the way that they were. And the sad thing is, I have experienced that pattern again and again. Haven't you? We, we hear something that, that strikes us. Maybe it's in a sermon or maybe it's a conversation or maybe it's just in our own personal reflection. And we say, I want to be different. Our spirit is willing. And then life happens and we find ourselves back to the very place we didn't want to be. Perhaps, perhaps it's even something that you're feeling this weekend. Perhaps you have said sometime yesterday or today, not again. I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to be so petty with my spouse, but I'm going to be more understanding. I'm not going to be so easily losing my temper when my kids do things that are just kid-like. I'm, I'm not going to click on that link again. I'm not when I'm at work. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to try to be more grateful These are all good resolutions. It is repentance. That is good. But let me tell you, if you are saying that and just hoping that your willpower will be strong enough this time, you are going to fail. Because Jesus says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I mean, Luther puts it this way. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. And he's right. And perhaps you might say, this, this, is, seem, this feels overly pessimistic to me. Aren't we new creations in Christ Jesus? Do we not have the power of the Spirit at work in us? And yes, and yes, but let me tell you what it looks like to be a new creation. It is to be someone who is wholly, completely, entirely dependent on God for everything. The work of the Spirit is to enable our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father, help. There was no more mature believer ever than Jesus. And Jesus was as dependent on God as anyone has ever been. He says, I only do what I see my father doing. He was a person who prayed and prayed and prayed some more. And if the son of God needed to pray to maintain faithfulness, shouldn't we see ourselves in the same way? Paul, when he speaks about spiritual warfare, he immediately says, pray for me. See, we think of maturity the wrong way. We think maturity means more self-sufficiency and more 
ability to stand on our own two feet, but the mature Christian is the one who realizes they are not self-sufficient, who realizes just how dependent they are on God and owns that completely. Our only hope is in depending completely on God and saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one daily. For some of you this morning, I suspect this is the thing that you are needing to hear more than anything else because your life has been built around the idea that you can rely on yourself, that you do not need to ask for help. And Jesus is saying, you're wrong. If you in your own strength confide, your striving will be losing. Either what you will do is you will lower the bar and not let yourself see the things that are most embarrassing about yourself so that you can believe yourself sufficient, or you will be frustrated again and again by your failure. Because this prayer is telling us that we cannot do this on our own. My guess, though, is some of you don't need to hear this very much because you know it to be true. You know that you will fail because you have failed and failed again and you are feeling hopeless. You don't need to be told that we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing because you have lived it out. What you need to hear is the third implication of this prayer. And that is that Jesus is saying that you do not need to do this alone. And that in fact, God is there with you. And what is impossible for you, he will make possible. Now last week, we spoke about how we can pray, forgive us our debts. And we know, we know that God hears that prayer and he answers it. Should we be any less confident that he will hear and answer this prayer? Lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. No, he will answer it. Let me say something that's perhaps obvious but needs to be said. Jesus never tells you to do something useless. When he tells you to pray, protect me in the time of testing, deliver me from evil, he's not doing that just to make you feel bad about yourself. He's doing it because he knows that if we do this, if we depend upon God, then we are able to stand in the time of testing. Then we are able to withstand the attacks of Satan. You know, one of the great battle passages of the Bible is Ephesians 6. Maybe if you grew up in the church, you probably had that in a vacation Bible school or Sunday school because especially as a boy, thinking about the armor of God is pretty awesome. And it's fun to think about all these different pieces. There's the helmet of salvation. There's the breastplate of righteousness and so on. But there's one thing that is common to all of them that I think is the most important part of this passage. And that is all of the pieces of armor are not our armor. They are God's armor. See, Paul is actually going back to Isaiah. And Isaiah, you see at a certain point, it's saying God putting on his armor. He puts on the helmet of salvation. He puts on the breastplate of righteousness. And now Paul in Ephesians 6 is now you get to wear God's armor. You get to wear the armor that he had. In other words, in order to do battle against the evil one, we're not being told to put on our own strength. There is no helmet of cleverness or breastplate of willpower or or sandals of doing good things because that's our habit. There is nothing about ourselves that is being lifted up as the way that we do warfare against Satan. In everything, we are putting on the strength of God. We are relying on God's strength. 
And when we do that, this is what Paul says. Take up this armor so that you will be able to stand against the devil's attacks. Do you hear that hopefulness and that optimism? It's not ill-founded. He's saying when you put on God's armor, you will have the strength that you need. Now, my experience, the, the victory that comes through God's enabling doesn't necessarily look like what we want it to look. It doesn't look like immediate ease. What it looks like is finding ourselves quicker to forgive and less likely to get angry and more quick also to apologize. It means us finding ourselves succumbing to certain temptations a little less frequently and then when we are, we find ourselves repenting more quickly. Usually, the way that God enables us to advance through his power is through gradually seeing growth. But it is real growth. It is real victory that comes through the armor of God as we rely on his strength. And how do we put this armor on? It is through praying. It is through praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We've been thinking about the disciples and their failure, but the story for the disciples doesn't really end there. If we, if we fast forward to Acts, after Jesus has risen and ascended, you have these same disciples who faltered in the moment there was danger, now in Acts 4, having danger that's even greater. They have some who have been imprisoned, the danger of some being killed and some will be killed. And what do they do as they see these obstacles, as they see the time of testing before them? They pray. They pray, Lord, give us boldness because we know we don't have it on our own. And what happens? The rest of the book of Acts tells us they go, when wherever they go, they speak boldly about Jesus and the world has never been the same. If you are struggling with sin, your situation is not hopeless. That's what this prayer is telling you that we have a God who enables us to stand firm in the time of testing, who gives us what we need when we are being attacked. God enables us to do what we cannot on our own. And let me just say one more thing before I can close. Do you notice that this prayer is, is not in the singular? It's not lead me not to temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. That's because this testing, this battle that we are in, is a joint team project. When we're praying, we're not just praying for ourselves, we're praying for others. And when we're needing prayer, we don't just rely on ourselves, but we ask others to pray with us. If you right now are finding yourself in a time of testing, if you find yourself stuck, let me encourage you, do not do this alone. Find someone that you can trust, a believer that you think highly of. Sit down with them and say, hey, I'm having a tough time. Could you pray with me? Because we are soldiers meant to fight side by side, depending on God, putting on the armor of God together. This is a prayer that should not be forgotten. It's a prayer that reminds us that we are in a battle being tested, that we do not have strength on our own. But at the same time, though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, 
For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Knowing that, would you please join with me in praying this prayer together? Father, you know far better than we do how we are facing testing regularly. So many of these things we're probably not even aware of, or oftentimes we're aware only in hindsight as we see ways that we failed. Father, we pray that you protect us from despair, and we pray that you protect us from arrogance. Lord, we ask, knowing that you We have seen it in your son, the ability to withstand temptation, that we ask that you would give us that same spirit of strength, that in the testings that we face today and this week, whether it be the frontal assaults of suffering or obvious temptation, or whether it be the subtle ones of comfort and ease, would you please lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, that we would be the people you call us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.